This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. You're such a good dog. Yeah, you're such a good dog. We can all laugh about the explosive diarrhea now. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we debate the pros and cons of getting a pet in grad school. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 110. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Yeah, and that's a good boy doing the intro. <laughs> that is excellent foreshadowing, Josh. Or you're just talking down to me. I don't know which. Oh, sorry. I usually turn the microphones off before yeah, I give you praise. <laughs> you, as long as you don't spot me with the newspaper again, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, as you alluded to, we're going to talk about pets today. Yeah, I sure did allude to that. <laughs> and you have nothing some, weird going on here. You have okay. some. Uh, in the studio today, which is exciting. It's not necessarily in honor of this episode, but we have a cat laying down here. This is Mr. Sophie. Mr. Sophie. That is a good story. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get to it. He used to be Sophie, and then we found some found out. parts, <laughs> some, some other bits. <laughs> so he became Mr. Sophie. I don't know where Scooter is, the dog. He was here earlier. We'll be introduced to Scooter later. Let's be introduced to this beer you have in front of us. Yeah, Dan. Well, actually, uh, there's more than meets the eye. This is not a beer, but a cider. Oh, excellent. Is this our first cider on the show? It may be. I don't remember doing another one. Uh, we may have done an Angry Orchard at some point. No. I'm going to use the Hello PhD search bar. This is a good plug for the search bar on the website. So I'm just going to search for cider. And it turns out, sorry, nothing was found. Nothing so found. this is no our cider. first cider. First cider. Uh, but I did not pick this. I guess I can't call it a beer. I did not pick this cider, cider up because it was a cider, though. I picked it up for a different reason, and that is because this cider came from Dingo Dog Brewing Company uh, right out of Carborough, North Carolina. And there's a dog on the label. There's a very happy-looking dog. And the reason Probably I picked had this, too much cider. Maybe a little too much. Uh, the reason I picked this one up is I actually heard about this from a listener of the show. Um, it's probably been a couple years ago now. Her fiancé started this brewery, Dingo Dog Brewing, so Dingo Dog Brewing Company is a nano brewery operating on a farm outside of Carbon, North Carolina, and they were founded as a nonprofit to support no-kill animal shelters in North Carolina. Oh, so there is a, a very pet-themed cider today. Yeah, I thought, what better brew to sample on the show today? Can you, can you go step back two steps and tell me what a nano brewery is? I mean, I assume it's a very small brewery, but... <laughs> Uh, the nano is, is smaller than the micro. Addo Brewery. <laughs> well, it is one one thousandth the size of a micro brew. Okay. Actually, that's not true. I did a little research on the stand, and there's actually a lot of range in these titles: micro brewery, nano brewery, that vary state by state. But in general, a nano brewery is thought to be a brewery that produces no more than three barrels of beer in one batch. And there actually was a law. You can in, make a lot of batches, though, right? I think you can make a lot of batches, but some states, including New Hampshire, have passed laws to define these breweries a little more specifically. And so, at least in New Hampshire, uh, a nano brewery is defined as a brewery that produces less than 2,000 barrels each year. So, that's pretty. That's still a pretty decent amount. 
Yes, uh, it sounds like a, a lot of beer for one person to consume, but uh, <laughs> what I'm hearing is this may be a limited edition, tough to get outside of this area. Is that right? Yeah, this is very, uh, um, very small batch. And actually... So if we like it, too bad for everybody listening. If we don't like it, you didn't miss anything. Well, even Dan, if you look on the back of this bottle, um, and I should mention, I haven't said yet what we're drinking. Um, so this is the Ahi Dolce Cider. So have you heard of Ahi Dolce before? I've heard of Ahi Tuna well, this aje dolce is a type of pepper. Oh, okay. yeah. So, uh, so this is an apple cider that has fermented on top of smoky, sweet North Carolina aje dolce peppers. Here we go. So, let's see if you taste some peppers. It tastes like a sweet jalapeno. Actually, Dan, before I even tasted it, I gave it a good sniff, and it smells like jalapenos. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I um, wonder if that is in that family. Is it is a, supposed to be a hot pepper, or is it just a? Yeah, so I looked it up. So ahi dolce, you like this, Dan. You're the word guy. Dolce sweet. The Latin term for ahi dolce is capsicum Chinese. So it comes from China. <laughs> it's a Chinese hot pepper, uh, but it's a small, a smallish pepper. There's some. I'm looking at. I probably pronounce that capsicum chinense, but I have no idea. <laughs> so it actually looks a lot, Dan, like a, ha- a habanero pepper. I'm showing okay. you a picture of these. It's kind of small. Yeah, they're gnarly uh, looking in that in that size. However, a lot of the regions where this this is used in Latin America, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, don't actually have hot peppers as common in their cuisine. And so um, this pepper is known to have a pepper flavor, um, a sort of a strong pepper flavor, but not necessarily super hot. So this would be categorized more of a sweet pepper. Uh, you can think of it as a sweet habanero pepper. Yeah, I, I like it. And um, it definitely caught me off guard. It was not a flavor I was expecting in a cider, but I think it's a nice balance and it kind of makes me want to grow those peppers because it is a, a good, strong pepper flavor, but I don't get a lot of spice out of the cider. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, Dan, I think we've talked about this before. I love when a beer or cider advertises having some secondary flavor that I can actually detect it's that definitely flavor. In there, yep. There's no doubt. But you alluded to this, Dan, and you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, it's going to be hard for our listeners to try this specific brew out themselves because as is handwritten on here, Dan, uh, this was bottled on April 23rd, and this is bottle number 14 out of 60. So we are holding one of only 60 bottles of this cider. Wow. Wow. Pretty great, huh? So, so we should, glad we like it. Sorry to everybody. <laughs> sorry, else. everybody. Yeah. Uh, this is good. And if you're uh, in North Carolina, check out Dingo Dog Brewing. Awesome. And and check out Nano Breweries in your area, and you can gloat to us about the things you find. Yeah, sounds good. Dan got some good news. We have some new Patreon patrons. Excellent. Who are we going to thank today? And you'll notice I said patrons. That was a plural of that word. Yes, that was so. Oh, let me get let me get rested up for this, Dan. We want to thank Jacob, Jordan, and Beth. Oh my! Thank you to all of you, and we will see you soon in the Slack channel just for our patrons. That's right. Also, Dan, we want to thank our friends at Promega. Absolutely, Josh. You know when you challenge yourself with mentoring or teaching an undergrad in your lab, which I know you've done. I love doing that. Uh, It can be tough to find good resources for some of those basic techniques that you use all the time. But looking for the right article or video to share with your student, you can check out the Molecular Biology Essentials page from Promega. The pages are full of helpful tools on purification, amplification, ligation, and cloning. Everything you need to help an undergrad get their feet on the ground. It also has resources for career planning and professional development. So visit promega.com slash PhD Essentials. Sounds useful. Yeah, this is really cool. You know, Dan, I remember when I was uh, mentoring undergrads or even when I was an undergrad, this is dating us a little bit, but there's so much available on the internet now. Didn't exist then. And and I'm actually 
glad that this is the encyclopedia, the world book. Well, do you remember? You you probably did some DNA cloning in the lab. Absolutely, as as did I. Do you remember, Dan? If you needed help with your cloning, we had like the one book in the lab. There was like a book. There was a book. You, I would always go to the postdoc or to the (laughs) PI. No, we had the lab I worked in. We didn't have. We were just undergrads. Oh, that's true. Small school. Yeah, there was a book. I think it was called the Maniatus. Oh, you yeah, that? the yeah. Manny. Yeah, the Manny Petty. <laughs> I don't know if I ever called it that. But but that was the only resource you had. And if you tried what was in the book and it didn't work, you were kind of out of luck at that point. Yeah, just so, go home for the summer. Um, so I wish I would have had uh, PhD essentials from Permega when the, I was The future is now, Josh. Tell you Enjoy what. it. Yeah. I'll tell you what. All right, Dan, this episode is so full of treats. We are going to re- have a return of Science in the News. Do I have to hold the treat on my nose and wait? <laughs> <laughs> stay, stay. <laughs> okay, science of the news. Science of the news. <laughs> okay, Dan, this one came across my radar uh, a few weeks ago, and I sat on it because I knew that it would be great and perfect for this episode, talking about pets. This is an article that was published in the journal Animal Cognition, and you're going to love it, Dan. I love, I love that that journal exists. Go ahead. And the title it is open source, too, so shout awesome. out to that. Yeah, love uh, that. And the title is, Who's a Good Boy? Dogs Prefer Naturalistic Dog-Directed Speech. Okay, you're going to have to unpack that one for me. All right, Dan. Uh, you have kids, small kids. I do. And actually, I know that yours and mine are now older than infants and babies. Um, but would you say you talked to your kids differently than you talked to me or your wife? Absolutely, because when I talk to you, I don't refer to myself in the third person. <laughs> Daddy said, getting dead. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you mean? I mean, yeah, when they're, when they're really little, they're like, Daddy's going to go over here now. It'll be okay, right? I, so it's, it's a constant third person reference. I don't think I've done that near you in a long time. Well, Dan, there's something that has been studied. People who study speech um, have studied something called infant-directed speech, or IDS, which is a special speech pattern that is thought to aid language acquisition and improve affiliation in human infants, Dan. So this would actually be um, the way that you or a parent or caregiver might talk to an infant. So even my third-person reference might be a good one because I'm teaching my child my name repeatedly rather than trying to give them the concept of another human is I. Yep, and it, it has been shown that that actually does help infants to establish a connection uh, with their caregiver. Okay, well, Uh, that sounds positive. Yeah. So there's also something called dog-directed speech, or DDS. And this is the who's a good boy part? That's right. And so IDS shares a lot of properties with DDS, the way you might inflect your voice to keep the attention of the dog, and the way you might try to keep the attention of the baby are very similar. You could probably imagine this to be true. Yeah, I think dogs are, are like toddlers, right? Yeah, I think understand so. some number of words, but not all of them. Yeah, I think so. And actually, Dan, this is an aside that I found in the paper that was really fascinating. So it turns out that infant-directed speech does have similarities to the dog-directed speech, such as long consonants, certain inflections in the voice. However, infant-directed speech and dog-directed speech differ in one key way. That is apparently an infant-directed speech. There's a lot more holding out long vowels that is not typically... We don't typically talk to our dogs that way. I'm going to need examples. Well, I was trying to think about some examples because they actually didn't provide any examples. Um, I think it could be... Let's say you're talking to your baby and you say, here's a ball. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that to a dog. No, you wouldn't. No, yeah. But you might say that. Yeah, but you, yeah, might, yeah. you can no, imagine saying something I, like I that. I can see your, saying it to a baby. Yeah, for I sure. could say, night, night. Yeah. 
You wouldn't say that to your dog. No, that'd be super weird to say it to a dog. Yeah. Right. Well, it turns out, though, that uh, people who study these types of speech, that people talk similarly to their parrots as they do their infants in ways they don't speak to their dog. And the reason is because part apparently that holding out of vowels, one reason you do that, another reason we communicate with our kids, our babies, is we have this expectation that they will learn speech. And this is a mechanism to help them learn words. So are they claiming that if I used longer vowels with my dog, <laughs> Maybe it could that, learn to speak? I've well, been holding it back well, all these years? But apparently that's the difference. So, so people, when they speak to pets like a parrot, they have this expectation of the bird learning speech. So they actually talk to it more similarly to a baby. But with a dog, you don't have... You know, you may want to get its attention, you may want to bond with it, but you don't have an expectation that someday it will communicate back to you. <laughs> this I mean, is I, real. This, no, is, I'm not, I, I, this I, seems funny. You're but this observing is in the paper. a real, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they have observed a real thing, and I, I find it fascinating that we all do this without thinking about it. Yeah, we didn't all get together. Say, well, now I could talk to the dog this way, but I guess he won't learn, so I'll change my <laughs> speech habit. Scooter, would you like a bone? Yeah, you would never do would that. Never say that. Never the, say yeah. That. Um, anyway, that's just an aside that I find. Scooter is a dog, by the way. Scooter is a dog. Yeah, and I should mention that Scooter. And we'll talk about Scooter later. But he is our puppy that we got about six months ago. Um, anyway, Dan, back to this study. So apparently, coming into this study, there had been a previous work that found that puppies were more attentive to a script that was read with dog-directed speech compared with adult-directed speech. Okay, so so basically I would have a script that had like normal stuff I would say to my dog, and I would read it in a dog way, you know, in a way that I might speak to my dog. Uh, but then I had a script of conversation that you and I might have as adults. Uh, and if I read that in dog voice or in a way I might speak to my dog, uh, puppies were equally attentive, but adult dogs seem to actually have some acknowledgement of the types of things the person was saying, not just the way they were saying it. Does that make sense? Did they test whether if you talk to people in doggy talk, <laughs> if they looked at you like you're insane? Uh, that is a follow-up study yeah. they have not done. Um, so what they wanted to do in this study was they wanted to use what they called more naturalistic speech. So they wanted to... to it's not- time to go poop in the yard now. <laughs> Well, that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, they wanted that's, to. That's the kind of thing you would say to your dog, but in a funny way. Yeah. So now we're going to say the things we would normally say to the dogs, but just we're going to say them in the way we would communicate with an adult human versus the way we communicate with a dog. Go get the ball and bring it back now. Yeah. So, um, so to explore this, there were sort of two, I guess, variables in the speech. Okay. So first there was what they called the acoustic features of the speech. And I learned, Dan, that is a word called the prosody of the speech. Cool word. I'll look it up later. Yep. Um, so the, the prosody has something to do with the poetic nature or the timber of the speech that you might use. Where you're modulating your tone up and down. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And then there was the, the actual words that they say. All right. So what they did was first they did normal dog-directed speech with dog-appropriate words and compared to adult words and adult speech and found that the dogs were much more attentive to the dog-directed speech with the dog words and kind of zoned out of the adult-directed speech. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, and that's what they expected. But then what they did was they actually mixed the stimuli. And so they had 
they had a script of just normal human conversation read in dog directed speech tones with dog prosody, I guess. Um, and then they had dog talk read in adult prosody, normal human adult prosody. And the dogs just stared confused at the people <laughs> conducting the experiment. Well, well, what they found was there was no significant effect of speech type or content. And so it suggested that actually there is a combination of the acoustic properties of the speech and the actual content of the speech that dogs have a preference for. So overall, it suggested that when we speak to our dogs and they pay attention to us, it has to do not just with the way we say it, but the words that we say as well. The only way that this could have turned out better is if the dog started talking at the end of it. <laughs> well, they didn't hold their vowels out. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I do want to, Dan, uh, in the supplemental information, they listed the scripts that they used for this research. Oh, are you going to read one for us? I'm going to read it for you, Dan. Read it in a cat voice this time, though. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this was the content-matched dog-directed speech. Okay. So, um, and I should mention, too, this was coming out of speakers. So the way it was done is... There would be a oh, person. So no there. eye contact. Yeah. So this was well. Okay. So this is what they did. So there would be an experimenter in the room, and so the dog would come out, kind of get used to him, then go back away. Then they would let him come back in and get used to him for a minute. And then there were speakers that actually said the words, but the person in the room, the experimenter, actually put his or her hand over their mouth to make sure they so they weren't you know mouthing the words, and they maintained just a neutral eye contact with the dog. And they were covered in bacon. <laughs> no? <laughs> Only in the dog-directed okay. speech group, yeah. So um, in the dog-directed speech script, it was, oh, you're such a good dog. Yes, you are. Come here. Come here. You're such a good dog. Yes, you are. Good dog. You're such a good dog. Yeah. You're such a good dog. Good? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. that was... Okay, and then... We're uh, your dog. We should test this out. Yeah, and then the, the content matched um, adult-directed speech. I went to the gym yesterday and I joined this new class, uh, but... You know, we had to do like 15 minutes of aerobic exercise, followed by all these weights and squats and crunches and things. Um, <laughs> then I made the mistake of going to the pool afterward, did a couple links, but today I'm really, <laughs> I'm really feeling it. Um, that is guaranteed <laughs> to make any human fall asleep. <laughs> okay. Who wants to hear about your workout? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, but this is the best part, Dan. So that was experiment one. That okay. was just repeating, yeah. right? Then there was the content mismatched dog directed oh, speech. Here we right go. This? And I'm reading, they're actually, this is like a script. They're gasps and. <gasps> I went to the gym yesterday. I joined this new class. We had to do 15 minutes of aerobic exercise. Five all these weights. <gasps> Squats. <gasps> Crunches and thighs. The dog <laughs> must have been so <laughs> confused. Meanwhile, a researcher has a neutral gaze and covering their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like a Monty Python sketch. Uh, but, then, but then the other flip side of that experiment uh, would be this. Oh, you're such a good dog. Yes, you are. Come here. Come here. You're such a good dog. Yes, you are. You're such a good dog. Yeah. You're such a good dog. Oh, you're going to come here? Oh, come on then. Come on. Let's go out. And it's all on speakers. I am. <laughs> I would pay to watch this. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this was all videotaped and, and data was collected based on how attentive the dog and the dog turns out needed the right words said the right way to be attentive. Pretty cool, huh? So they do understand us. I guess they do. All right, Josh. Well, that was wildly fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> slightly disturbing for parts of it but uh let's move on with the rest of the show where we talk about whether or not our listeners should be getting dogs or cats or monkeys dan do you have pets i have chickens you do have chickens would you consider them pets 
Yeah, they're pretty adorable. Okay. They, they have personalities. They, they're my kind of pet because I don't have to do very much for them. They lay eggs for you? Uh, not yet. They're too young. So they're pets. Yeah. They're providing you no real value. Oh, they're providing me than... ecosystem services. They're scratching out my new garden for oh, me. That's true. Yeah. And fertilizing. And I do quite a bit of dog sitting for various people because... Including me. For you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the benefits of not having a dog is I can take a dog almost any weekend and the kids get the joy of it and I don't have to pay anything for it. And you give it back. I give it back. Yeah. Uh, well, as you know, Dan, uh, my family adopted... Um, a cute little fuzzy dog named Scooter uh, about six months ago. A schnoodle. A schnoodle. Which people should probably find out what that means. A schnauzer poodle uh, mix. And I have to say, Dan, I was really opposed to getting a dog for quite some time. You were really opposed to it for years. Yeah. I mean, I I know a little bit about dogs. I had some dogs growing up. And certainly we've had plenty of friends throughout grad school and after grad school who had dogs. And the thing that stood out to me about dogs was they seemed like a lot of work to me. A lot of work. They're kind of in your face. They're licking you. Yeah, and I didn't like You're, that. Yeah, you, about you dogs. had yeah. cats a long time. Yeah, they keep to themselves. They you do their own thing. Can ignore them if you want to. You go on vacation for three or four days. They're fine. Totally fine. Yeah, but then we got Scooter, and I'll tell you what, Dan. I the get world it. changed. I get it. I get why people have dogs. Dogs are awesome. They are awesome, and Scooter's pretty cute. I mean, you, you did get lucky with that. I mean, my kids are old enough now. You know, they used to get excited when I came home from work, and I think they grew out of that part. Do your, your kids still run like, Daddy's home? Yeah, yeah, I still get that. They're young oh, enough. Oh, well, great. <laughs> it's just my They're kids. like pets. My kids look up from their Nintendo Switch. And, yeah. Oh, hey, Dad. Uh, but Scooter, I mean, literally, I could be gone 15 minutes and come back, and Scooter's just goes bananas when yeah, I come it, in. It is, it is one of the features of a dog. They forget that you're coming back after about three <laughs> minutes and uh every time is exciting and i say scooter i went to the gym today and did some squats yeah. <laughs> i always i always grew up with dogs we had dogs like my whole life so i've had a lot of dogs when i was living when i was in grad school it just wasn't something i considered so i'm really interested in this conversation today because my answer would be no way can you have a dog in grad school but i don't think that's the answer that we heard from a lot of people well yeah and that's what that's what got us interested in in broaching this subject. And I'll say a few months ago, I think it was back in November, I just put up a message on our Twitter account, really just asking what people thought about having pets in grad school. And Dan, I was not prepared for the level of response that we got to that tweet. It was a deluge. Yeah, clearly having pets is something that a lot of people uh, feel really strongly about in their science training. Absolutely. And you got to speak to one such person, right, Josh? I did. So um, I had the opportunity to sit down this week and talk to a friend of the show, Susanna Harris, who's a grad student and also known for being founder of PH Depression. And I knew from from social media and from talking to, to Susanna that she has a couple of really nice, beautiful dogs that she adopted during graduate school. She features them prominently on her Instagram feed. And I thought she might be a good person to tell us about her experience having not one, but two dogs uh, that she adopted and is taken care of while in grad school. All right, well, let's take a listen to the interview and then we will reconvene. Hi, Susanna. Good to have you back on Hello PhD again. Hey, Josh. Nice to be back. I know you're a regular officially now. Ooh, I am I am always on here, I guess. It seems like it. So today <laughs> we're going to talk about something totally different than some of the topics we've talked with you about in the past. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about pets. You have some. I do. I do. I have two dogs. Their names are Hermes and Athena. Uh, they're kind of grandiose names for how dorky these dogs are. But I got them in August of about two years ago. And that was 
the start of my fourth year of my PhD. Wow. So you didn't have enough responsibility as a fourth year grad student. So you decided to get not one, but two dogs. Yeah. And that response is a pretty, pretty much what everyone kind of gives of, oh, wow, that's interesting. Or maybe a different tone of, oh, wow, that's interesting. Uh, so it, it might not have been my best choice, but it was it was probably the best mistake that I've made. Yeah. So walk me through. So what made you decide to get pets? Did you grow up having pets? Yeah, so I I grew up having um, a cat and then later dogs, and I have always found a way to kind of make these things happen. One of the most embarrassing moments for my parents when I was growing up is that for Christmas one year, the uh, local newspaper came and asked us what we wanted for Christmas, and my parents apparently had told me we didn't have the money to get a dog, and that's why we couldn't get a dog. And so I told our local newspaper all I wanted for Christmas was enough money for my family to get a dog. Uh, so they were horrified. But we ended up getting a cat, and we got some dogs later on. Uh, I actually had a rabbit early on in uh, in the PhD program. And there's something just really lovely about coming home to whatever creature is so excited to see you. Yeah, so that, that's the other thing I was going to ask you is if you had pets when you started grad school and, and just walk me through the thought process and why you decided to introduce two new dogs to your household as a fourth year grad student. So it was one of those things where everything happened at once and it led to me getting two dogs. So the summer right before that, I visited my grandparents and they had golden retrievers and they were just so soothing. I was kind of having a stressful time and I went out to visit them and just being around these dogs and petting them and having that calming presence reminded me how great it is to have pets that are, are really interactive. And right at that same time, I got back, I was a little bit less busy and on Facebook one day, it was this group I was following, a free and for sale at UNC, and somebody posted that two stray puppies had walked up to her property and she found them eating her dog's food. And she put up these pictures and these were the like cutest but saddest looking puppies you have ever seen. They stole your heart. They really did. There was something and I saw them. I was like, those are my dogs. I set up a meeting with her the next day and I immediately set up a veterinarian's appointment the day after before even going because let's be honest, if you're going to go visit two puppies, you're going to come back with two puppies. Yeah, looking for dogs is getting dogs. Yeah, I, you never hear of somebody, that's responsibility. That is a responsible adult, which I'm not sure I'm ever going to be. So there was, there was not a six months weighing the pros and cons, doing your research. It was a, these puppies are adorable. They need me. This is meant to be. I'm going for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm not sure I give myself enough credit because I did. I remember before I reached out, I looked at my bank account. I estimated how much money would be. I looked at my living situation and I live in a townhouse that has, it doesn't have an enclosed backyard, but I have a deck. I have the ability to uh, let them out without having to take them for a walk. And I've always had roommates and friends who are very supportive. So I looked at it and realized I, I had the ability to take care of dogs. Now, would it totally change my life? I think I knew that, but I, you know, you can't really know how much until you do that. How was it? Like, walk me through, you know, you go get your puppies, you bring them home. They're your puppies now. How, how was the first six months? Oh, wow. Uh, so when I got them, they're about eight weeks old and they were super malnourished. Um, 
you know, I picked him up and the woman had done her best to get rid of the fleas and ticks. They definitely still had fleas. They definitely, they had every parasite when we took him to the vet. Um, and they basically look like little chicken nuggets with legs because they were so full of worms. But it was great uh, in a lot of ways. The first night I slept on the floor of the kitchen and from the very first moment, they just brought so much excitement uh, and you know, learning to train them. I, I think I've learned a lot of how to say no, how to take care of something else. There's something really amazing about taking care of something else that is fully dependent on you that reminds you, you are fully dependent on you. You have to take care of yourself. Otherwise, it's it's not going to be good. And, and I think, you know, people were more worried that my dogs weren't getting enough attention and weren't getting enough time outside, weren't having enough play dates and things like that exercise than they were for me. And I think as PhD students, we sort of see this as we put the stuff on hold because we can. You would never say that about your dog. You would never want to leave it for 12 hours at home and not take it out. But why do we do that to ourselves of I'm going to be in lab 12 hours? You know, that's not sustainable. Sometimes it happens, but you would never treat a pet like that. No, and in fact, in, in some instances, folks would look at you in the lab 12 hours a day and think, wow, Santa, she works really hard. That's great. She's a great grad student. <laughs> but it's awful. Yeah, it's awful. And, you're missing and, out on needs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you're going you're gonna to burn out. And I think a, a PhD is absolutely a marathon, if not an Ironman. And if you just go in bursts of sprinting, it, it's just not going to work out. Mm-hmm. So I happen to know that being a grad student, is a lot of work and you are busy and you do have a lot of things that are vying for your time. So have there been any challenges uh, being a, being a dog mom for, for two pups? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it, it is way more expensive than you realize. Um, I did have the finances to do it, which was great, but, uh, I could definitely not do it again right now. Um, and I was really fortunate that they didn't have any major health issues. And, one of one of the things I deal with is that I'm pretty naturally introverted. That's that's fairly surprising when I tell people, given how active I am on things like social media. Social media is great because I'm sitting at home interacting with amazing people all over the world. I don't have to leave my house. And having dogs can allow you to do that even more. Uh, you have something to snuggle with. You're not as lonely, but it also can increase the ability to be isolated. There's always an excuse to not go out. And so I think a challenge for me was to realize that instead of allowing these dogs to make me more introverted, I could look at it as a way to meet more people and to actually enjoy being out with people of going to breweries that allow dogs and going to the park. And everyone, you know, everyone in grad school secretly wants to have a pet or at least enjoy the benefits. So there's always people who want to help if you're willing to ask them. It's almost like, you know, I have, have children now. It's almost like the grandparent phenomenon where they don't they don't have to commit to the full-time raising and paying for the kids, but they like to babysit the kids for a night or two. So mm-hmm. I imagine there are people who want to interact with dogs without the full responsibility of having one themselves. Yeah, well, and I think that actually has taught me more. One of the things that I also struggle with is asking for help. And I think that's a really common thing uh, in PhD students, at least what I've seen. And I think it's been great because what I realize is that when I'm asking for help with the dogs or with my work or with anything else, people genuinely want to help. You know, when it's in terms of dogs, of course, they're going to have fun, but they also just want to help you. They want to help you succeed. And if it's something fun, like taking care of dogs 
feel free to ask. If, if they don't want to do it, they'll say no. Well, I know one thing that's really uh, a big focus for you is, is really addressing this graduate student mental health crisis mm-hmm. and the work you do with PH depression. You're hearing from lots of trainees telling their own stories, living with depression, anxiety. Have there been ways that you feel like having your dogs have impacted um, your mental health as a graduate student? I definitely think so. Uh, you know, I one of the things that I struggled with, so I deal with depression and sometimes anxiety, um, and I've also dealt with some eating disorders, and all of those things can be actually, I think, partially alleviated by having pets. So in terms of depression, one of the things I dealt with was getting up and getting off of the couch. And when you have dogs that are dying for your attention, that happens. You know, when dogs need to go outside to the bathroom in the morning, you don't have the choice of laying in bed until 11 a.m. and then freaking out that you're not getting enough done. You just get up and you, you do that. As At the same time, snuggling a dog is so therapeutic. I, I think there's been tons of studies that have shown that. Um, and even on the side of, you know, anxiety, it's the same thing. And on the side of eating disorders, I would never starve my dogs to make them skinny. That seems bizarre. You would never say, well, uh, smaller dogs are cuter, so I'm going to starve my dog. You would probably be chastised if your friends came over and your dog's ribs are <laughs> showing. Yeah, yeah. I could never, you know, pull out a magazine and be like, wow, look at the show dog. It is beautiful. And, you know, even though it has so much perfect hair, it's only 25 pounds. Like, people would be so freaked out. Oh, yeah. It would be bizarre. Yeah. I was thinking, so I recently got a dog about six or seven months ago, and <gasps> I was very, uh, it is a Schnauzer poodle mix, it is a schnoodle, so it's a little fuzzy uh, (laughs) scooter, Uh, and I resisted getting a dog for a long time, my my wife and kids wore me down over a number of years, and you're absolutely right, the things you you say about uh, snuggling with the dog, or even just for me, I may have the worst day and down in the lowest mood, but every day when I walk in the house, this dog the pure unbridled joy at seeing me walk through the door. I mean, that just, that is a part of my day where my spirit is going to be lifted every day, no mm-hmm. matter what. And mm-hmm. almost, I can't imagine not having that mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you've asked about some of the difficulties at uh, the biggest one that I ran into at the start. And one I'm dealing with a lot right now is traveling for conferences and things like that, because, you know, you have to figure out where to board them or who's going to take care of them. And you realize how much you miss them when you're gone. I I think, you know, halfway through a trip, I am excited to see my friends, but I am really excited to see my dogs. (laughs) So uh, this this all sounds great. Uh, So imagine, well, actually, I know this is true. We've got listeners out there who are grad students, they're postdocs, they are interested in having pets. Maybe they had a dog growing up, but they're just not sure how they would fit it into their life. What advice do you have for them in weighing that decision? Yeah, I put up a post recently kind of asking for a bunch of different people's opinions. And unanimously, it was that if they had the resources, meaning time, money, support from other people, again, there's going to be times where you can't be home with your dog uh, or your cat or hamster, whatever it is, 
when you need to, if they had all of that support, it was beneficial to them. I I didn't get anyone who said that they regretted getting that. Um, I had a lot of people say that they did not understand fully what resources would be needed. So I think first, look at all of those limiting factors and figure out if you think you have about twice as much as you think you'll need. So all of those, you don't know what's going to happen. The most devastating thing is when you get a pet and halfway through having it, something goes wrong. Either they eat all your furniture, you lose your deposit, you know, heavens forbid they get sick or they eat something and you have to take them to the hospital. You know, once you fall in love with these, it's not a matter of if you're going to do it, it's it's how. So you need to make sure that how you do it is possible. And then on the other side, I would not recommend getting two puppies. I, yeah, I, I so would one never. is also an option. It turns out, right? Yeah, it turns yeah. out they don't come as a uh, combined set. Yeah, I was lucky actually. Somebody in my PhD program said that there was uh, something called littermate syndrome, where if you train them together, they will often only respond to each other, or they will work as a pair, and they might not respect you as much. So I was really lucky that I, I learned that. Uh, and I think that's my other piece of advice is that reach out to somebody else in your department, in your area, in your age group who has done this and ask them, you know, what has worked, what hasn't look at building codes and things like that. uh, Because this pet will be with you past your program, hopefully. Any funny pet stories from Hermes and what was the other dog? Athena. Hermes and Athena. Yeah. So there's kind of the regular stories about where they ate something and I was really worried about them or, you know, there was a time where I was traveling and I let them off leash. They have these little collars that will vibrate uh, to get their attention and they got out of the zone and I just had to cross my fingers that they came <laughs> back. But my my favorite horror story was that uh, when you first get dogs, when they're about six to eight months old, depending on who your vet is, you end up getting... Um, Heartworm medication, which is absolutely essential. Another thing to factor in for price because that's a couple hundred dollars a year. But you get the stuff, it's so necessary, and you give it to the dogs. And especially when they're little, or especially if they haven't had it before, it can upset their stomachs. And I knew this. And so I gave them each the medication. They took it just fine. I stayed with them for about 12 hours and there were no issues. And I was like, okay, my dogs are solid. I left. I think I was actually going to the lab. I put them in their their crate. And I left for about two hours. And when I came back, I knew there was something wrong because they were up in my room and I just hear them shrieking and squealing and they tap dancing around the crate. And so I run up the stairs and they are so distressed because they had both gotten explosive diarrhea and they were freaked out about it. Of course they didn't want it around them. So apparently they had both scooted their butts to opposite sides of the crate and had exploded (laughs) out all over the carpet. So my dogs are freaking out. This is in your, your bedroom. This is in my bedroom. It is carpeted you know, don't tell my parents about this story because they're going to be horrified. But, you know, we had gotten new carpet about a year prior. uh, And so I had to figure out what I was going to do. You know, they're, they're all freaked out. I had to be really sweet. You can't be mad at your dogs for this. They, they were so scared. So I had to take them out, put them in the bathroom, clean up the crate, move the crate, give them a bath, put them back in the crate. And then I could clean up the carpet. 
And so I think I was supposed to be somewhere that evening and I called and I was like, I cannot explain. I will later, but I have a dog emergency. And so, yeah, there's, you got to factor in that stuff. But I think when you love something, you'll do whatever it takes. Um, and now it is a, it is a really funny story. Uh, and luckily that did not happen the next time I gave the medication. <laughs> we can all laugh about the explosive diarrhea now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Susanna, thanks for stopping by. Always great to talk to you. Uh, why don't you make sure our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, totally. So you can find me pretty much on every social media platform. On Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Susanna, S-U-S-A-N-N-A, the letter L, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. So Susanna L. Harris. Uh, and feel free to reach out, send me a message, tweet at me, and uh, I'll definitely talk to you, whether it's about the pets or just PhD programs. I know a lot of people are doing interviews right now and that can be super stressful. I'm willing to talk about any of that as well as like Josh mentioned, um, really interested in supporting mental health in higher education. So you can talk to me about that or you can follow the page PH depression. That's PH underscore D underscore depression or go to our website, the PH depression.com and learn stories from people all over the world dealing with this kind of thing. Fantastic. Thanks, Susanna. Thanks, Josh. Talk to you later. All right, Dan, are you convinced about having a dog in grad school? Uh, maybe one. <laughs> Two seems like a lot. And pretty much on her own. I mean, she mentioned having some friends that help out. But as you know, Dan, as I know, having you help out once in a while is not the same thing as cleaning the poop up off the Yeah, <laughs> the I've, I've done it once, and you've had a scooter a year now, <laughs> roughly, a little less than that. Yeah, yeah, about six months. But it is something you've got to pay attention to, which is, you will travel. What are you going to do with with the pet? Yeah, whatever kind of pet you have. And and you know, I think the thing that got me thinking about the the pet thing in graduate school is I certainly remember being in graduate school and having really not being able to see how having a, a dog would add up. I will say, as I mentioned, I feel differently about dogs now that I have my own. Um, but even still, you know, my life situation is very different now than it was when I was in graduate. I was school. going to say you have a family and people who are going to come home at three p.m. and be able to help take care of the dog. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, as much as I love Scooter, I, I even still, I can't imagine doing it on my own. So yeah. in my current life situation, having help doing it, I can imagine it. But um, I think it would be something to think about, you know, if if you were someone who was on your own, whether you're in grad school or otherwise. Yeah, I, I think for Susanna, and, and she said something that we heard so much on Twitter, it is about having that pure love being to come home to the one that makes you get up off the couch and go for a jog the one that makes you get out to the park we heard over and over and over again people saying i had this terrible day and i came home and my cat just slept on my chest and i felt better or the dog was happy to see me or i had to come home from lab and plan my experiments better because i knew i needed to be there for my dog so i think there's a place um in your in your mental health regimen to have this wonderful, loving animal to take care of. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Dan. And I might have the most stressful day imaginable at work, but every day, a part of my day is coming home, sitting in the floor, and Scooter just jumps on my lap, so excited. And I can really, Dan, I can feel whatever stress level I bring into the house from work. It's really hard to feel stressed in that moment where you know, this living thing is just so excited to see you. It almost is almost like a meditative experience 
Um, yeah, they, and they, they don't have, care how your experiment failed. And they no. don't think you did a terrible chalk talk, and they don't. You know, it's it's just pure acceptance. And so I think that's what um, what we heard over and over again. Anna Sharnagel uh, tweeted to us. She said, "Pets are really important during grad school. Free cuddles, non-judgmental, needs you, loves you. That baseline level of responsibility that also ensures you take care of you." Because you have to in order to take care of them. That's exactly uh, what Susanna was saying too. Yeah, no, absolutely. We also heard from from Kate Dreisbach, who who responded. We got our dog after my first year in the PhD. He's good at telling us when we need to stop working for the night. Hashtag good boy. Hashtag good boy. <laughs> I re- really like this tweet from Vincenzo Urpasi. Said grad school is part of your life, not your life. If you want pets in your life, have pets, which I, I think that. is the right is the right approach. It's like. For some people, it's going to be the right answer. You know you want a pet. You have always had animals around. You know it's going to bring you joy. And then there are some people like, that doesn't interest me and I don't need it. You know what I mean? I don't need the extra mental overhead of having to take care of this thing. Yeah, you know, I think it was, uh, I think it was actually Emily, Emily Roberts who I heard say one time that, you know, she was saying this in the context of finances, but how a lot of grad students will say to her, you know, I'm going to think about my life and finances after grad school's over, as if somehow this period of this five-year period of time you're in graduate school is somehow not part of your actual life. But but it is. And, you know, I think we have the, sim- the same advice when people have asked us, when's the right time to have kids? You yeah. have kids when you want to have kids. When you want to have kids, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's challenging no matter when you do it. Um, if you want to do it, do it. Um, can we, we mentioned a little bit about the travel concerns. So if you're going to go out of town, you need to make sure you have three or four people you could ask because somebody's always going to have a conflict. And I think Susanna mentioned it. Vet bills can be very expensive. We, you know, you and I know some people who have had several thousand dollar vet bills for their pets. Yeah. Dogs eating socks and dogs eating things. Cats eating things. things. Yep. yep. Um, I recently, um, about a year ago, I had one coworker who had a cat who was, was desperately ill and spent, I think, thousands of dollars taking care of the cat. I had another coworker who didn't have the thousands of dollars, and the cat had a kidney infection and was like on his way to have to put it down. But then the cat was, it turned out the cat was okay and they were fine. But, but the point is, if you're in a situation where you're going to love this creature um, and you're going to have to make a difficult choice, that's a, it's not to stop you from getting one, but it's it's a real thing that people face. And and having that in the middle of the stress of grad school, uh, make sure you have other support going on around that. Yeah, and I think I think Susanna mentioned that too. Is is sort of weighing weighing that into your calculus? You know, the cost expected and unexpected. You know, they say like a cost versus benefit for this living creature, but but it sort of is. I mean, it's a responsibility. You know, Dan, you mentioned this. One thing that you enjoy is pet sitting. So you have some of the joy of having a pet without a lot of these costs and responsibilities. It's easy. Uh, we heard that from some folks on Twitter, too. We heard from Kate Bradford. And Kate said, yes, I started fostering kittens in grad school. It was a really great way to force me to manage my time better. And then Joe Brown also mentioned doing cat fostering during my PhD. And it's wonderful. It doesn't cost anything. I get to have a cat. We focused a lot on cats and dogs, but we definitely heard from some people who had some less traditional pets. There are some less traditional, like my chickens, right? Your chickens. That's right. That's right. Uh, we heard from Jessica Castillo-Vidaro, uh, who talked about having snakes as great grad school pets. Uh, they're fine, left alone for weeks at a time. Um, however, she did uh, acknowledge they don't provide much emotional support. I mean, I guess it just depends, right? <laughs> hey, I will say there is a faculty member at my university who sometimes would host dinners for these recruitment weekends. 
And I guess one of the things he would always do when people came over is he would feed a snake to his, or sorry, he would feed a mouse to his He'd snake. He'd feed a snake to the guests, <laughs> like no. Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> Monkey brains. No, he would, uh, yeah, he would break out a mouse and that would be part of the entertainment was, I guess he would maybe wait a couple dark. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Bone appetite, everybody. Yeah, um, only has dinner parties when the snake is hungry. Apparently the snake just died recently. That's pretty sad. Yeah. Uh, uh, then we mentioned uh, Dr. Dave Hemprick Bennett um, has two guinea pigs, two guinea pigs that he says were wonderful for cuddles after a long day, not as high maintenance as other species, but didn't feel so bad for the occasional long days. You have to have two of them, right? I think they're they're community-focused animals. What is that word? Oh, they like to not be alone. Yeah, well, there's a word for it, though. Not community-focused no, animals. Communal. No? Yeah, maybe. But anyway, yeah, you, you yeah. have to have two. They are adorable. My nephew has some, and they're they're pretty cute. And then, Dan, uh, this last one I wanted to share, this is totally you right here. This uh, is me, yeah. Um, but Leticia Miryu, I hope I said that correctly, um, uh, she said, I count my compost worms as pets. They're awesome and low maintenance and eat my food waste. That's so you. You had compost worms. I did, and I need more, so maybe I can call Leticia and get some. Yeah. I want to call out, we, we also heard from people with rep, other reptiles, ferrets, horses there was a parrot named percy like the we're, we'll post a link to the uh the twitter conversation because there's a lot of great animal pictures and people with their animals really adorable oh man i was scrolling through that feed again in preparation for this today if you need some cute animals in your life scroll through this feed it's great i, I love seeing the photos of everybody's pets I mean, you know dan Susanna alluded to this um herself but you know as we were even discussing just now there's there's pros and cons that you have to to weigh for yourself and you know, certainly people love to share their excitement and their joy about their pets um, and yeah, all the I positives. Th- the, the Twitter thread is everything good about having pets, right? Because people wanted to reach out and show us their pets. Um, but you ha- heard some feedback, um, maybe behind the scenes a little bit about some of the downsides. Yeah, absolutely. So I got actually got um, some direct messages for some people that had some who were very honest about some um, not so positive experiences they had with pets um, during their training. And so um, this is one from graduate student Emily who said we could share her story. Um, so she said, I tried adopting a dog after my first year of grad school, but I lived by myself in the bus system where I lived made it very difficult to get home midday to let her out. She wasn't fully house trained yet, so I had to stop in halfway through the day. Also did a lot of reading on dogs and how to best care for them. I think the high standards the internet sets and some of the adoption agencies, all the hoops, references, etc. some require, made me incredibly anxious when I finally got her. I was so stressed that I wouldn't be what she deserved and would fail as an owner that it interrupted my focus at work. I ended up driving her back to the adoption agency a week and a half later in tears. Upset with myself for not being able to take care of the dog I always wanted and feeling like a failure. Looking back on it, I did a great job for that week and a half and didn't need to go the extra five miles I was going. I would have been fine and the pup was and would have continued to be happy, but pressure about working more in lab and the high standards of dog ownership you read about online made me feel like I couldn't accomplish or have what I'd always wanted, especially living by myself. But the experience has left me nervous to try again anytime soon until I move in with my partner. But a year later, I went and adopted a little kitten, and then my boyfriend got his own a couple months later. So I effectively have two cats on weekends. The cat was a much better fit for me, and also I was more settled in the lab and had a better schedule. The cat doesn't need to be left out, and with two, I didn't worry about him feeling lonely while I was gone. Had him for almost two years now, and it's great. While he doesn't cuddle as much as he did as a kitten, it made living alone way better, gave me a purpose to go home, and proving my work-life balance. He's still a goofball and will sleep with me at night. Best addition to my grad experience yet. 
I highly recommend a pet, but knowing yourself personally and what would work best. And like most advice with life in grad school, don't be too hard on yourself in the beginning. I think if I had had more support in lab or felt like working more normal hours and not the long ones I was, I would have been a great dog mom. Even more so, if I hadn't put pressure on myself to be a star grad student and the best dog mom, I would have been happier all around. But it all worked out for the best because I wouldn't trade my kiddos for anything and I wouldn't have gotten them had the dog fallen through. Yeah, so that turned out to be a happy ending. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, first of all, thanks to Emily for just sharing that really honest viewpoint. And Dan, actually, I know we both knew some folks in graduate school that had a very similar experience uh, to Emily. They worked long hours. You know, they were, and we didn't mention this too, but a lot of times graduate student, you're living in a fairly small living space too. And, um, you know, depending on the size of your dog, you know, that can have its own challenges as well. I think it's great advice to think about your own personality, your own needs. It sounded like Emily maybe could have had a dog if she hadn't been so nervous about having a dog, but the cat is really a great fit for her. Um, The other times that I've heard people really struggling with a pet are if the pet has behavior issues. So a lot of grad students are going to want to go rescue a dog, and that's awesome, but make sure you understand how to assess the dog's personality and temperament uh, or the cat's because we've all met beautiful, sweet, loving, kind, gentle animals, And we've probably also met the dog who has anxiety and chews through the the door, scratches all day, barks all night. I mean, it can really stress your life to have an animal maybe that is not safe around people or your other pets. So it's the kind of thing that you want to be able to assess going in. And I think there are good resources online for understanding that when you go visit the pet at the shelter. Yeah. And I think that's just taking into account sort of the realities of what you can offer during your, your really busy training. All right, Dan. Well, I think this was a really, uh, really fun and great conversation about pets in grad school. We haven't talked about this before. No, we haven't. And I, I would have said, no way should you ever get a pet, but I think I'm convinced <laughs> that there, there are groups of people that it's a good idea. Even if it's compost worms and chickens. Compost worms and chickens. You could feed the worms to the chickens. I think you feel like pets have to serve a useful purpose. I think that's your personality. Yeah, I have enough going on in my life. I don't need more activity. So if they're not doing something for me, I probably don't have time. Would you say your uh, your worms sparked joy in you when you were grad student? Are we, are we going full Marie Kondo on sure. this? Yeah, I would say they would. You uh, you were proud of those. I remember coming oh, over. They're amazing, yeah. You were excited about the biology that was taking place in that box. As while a you biologist, it's amazing. And, and that's what I, I think, you know, the chickens are entertaining to me because they're like little dinosaurs, right? And they, they run around and, and act like reptiles, you know. To me, they're fun to watch because they're, they have a behavior and they've been selected and evolved to do a certain thing. They're really dumb, but they are cute and have personalities and I don't know. I can watch them and then when I don't want to watch them, I don't have to because they'll take care of themselves. And they don't care. And they don't care. And they're delicious. I'm not eating them. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, if you have a question or a topic idea, we'd love to hear it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at hellophd or leave us a message on our Facebook page. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We certainly love the feedback. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button. Or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd, and we'll send you an invitation to our Slack channel just for our patrons. And, of course, we would appreciate the beer money. Thanks to the ongoing support from all our patrons. 
All right, Josh. Well, thank you for sharing this Dingo Dog cider. Yeah, and as soon as we get done recording, I'm going to go take Scooter for a walk in the rain. It's about time. It's 40 degrees. Good luck. (laughs) Glad it's not me. We'll see you next time. See you next time.